When you coach um, a sport, let alone a high school sport, you have to learn to deal with, um, we'll call it emotions. Um, Specifically, this will shock you, teenage boys have a lot of emotions. They try to pretend like they don't, (laughs) but anybody who's raised a teenage boy knows they are a delicate breed. And so when you coach teenage boys in a sport, you have to handle their egos very, very delicately. And I learned this the last couple of years. I got to be one of the coaches for Bracken County High School football. And you're all like, I know, we've heard this before. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting because coaching, especially at Bracken County, was such a different thing because at one point they were the worst team in the entire state. Like at one year they went the 0 and 11 and gave up a state record for points allowed. And this is bad. And this same, those same kids then as they were freshmen at the time, now were seniors and were one of the better teams in, in their class. And so every week as I was coaching them, trying to handle their egos, the goal was keep them focused enough to know that, yes, the internet says that we will win. And yes, if you look at the schedules and the points against and how much bigger and faster we are on film, it looks like we should win. But you know how it goes. On any given Friday, anything can happen and we need to stay focused and we need to stay sharp and work hard and all of those kinds of things. And so all week, every week, my number one goal was just to keep the kids focused and make sure that we're working hard and all right, I didn't always do that, but just to make sure that we didn't think too much of ourselves because when it came time for Friday night, we had to be ready to go and play the game. But then came Paintsville. You see, all year we'd been playing teams like Berea and Dayton who were these tiny little guys in these dinky little schools that we could handle with ease. But then we made it to the second round of the playoffs, and we played the number two team in the state, Paintsville. They had kids who were being recruited by schools you may have heard of, like West Virginia University and Notre Dame, and they were ranked number two, and online, all of the experts said that this was going to be a blowout, and everything went from me trying to make sure that we were managing our egos to suddenly realizing that now we were the underdog. And I woke up that Monday and realized that we were going to have to do everything a little bit different that week. You see, most every week it was about managing expectations and trying to keep the kids to to know that they had to to be themselves and all those kind of things. But now we were coming into this week knowing that we were the underdog. And as we watched film and prepared for Paintsville, I realized very quickly we were the underdog. They were bigger, they were faster, they were stronger. They might have had more facial hair. I'm not sure, but they were tougher than us in every way. And so I I started to kind of change how things went for us at practice. And usually it was about trying to make sure that everybody stayed humble. But this week I said it was time to do things differently. And so one of the first things that I did at practice was I, I told my group I was responsible for helping coach the offensive line, which for those of you who aren't very familiar with football, is the most important and incredible group, okay? You can live without any other position on the football field except the offensive line. Don't let anyone tell you differently. Also, they're the ones that are a little bit taller and, and uh, heavier than the rest of them. Like, oh, you look like one of them. Oh, okay, that's why you coached them. Like, I got it, okay? Um, 
So, so I go to the offensive line, and so I had these, these guys who were my responsibility, who were, who were my crew, and we started off our first practice, and I, and I opened up my phone, and I said, guys, I'm going to tell you a story. And I told him the story of this teenage boy who went out and fought this giant that no one else would fight. And I said, no one believed this boy could fight this giant. No one believed this boy could win in this fight over the giant. And I said, but the story rings true because David beats Goliath. And I told him, I said, on the internet and in the newspaper, people are already saying this is a matchup of David versus Goliath. And I said, and they're calling you David because Paintsville's the big bad Goliath. They're, they're, the, they're the, the, big, the big time studs. They're the ones getting recruited, all of that. And I said, we're David. And I said, the good news about this story, guys, is that David beats Goliath. Like, I don't know why people like that story to, you know, like if you're Goliath, you don't want that story to be true about you. And so all week, I'm telling him this story, and I'm reminding him that, yes, we're the underdog, but you can believe that you can win, and you can believe that you can win. And I'm getting more and more nervous, and I have to confess to you, I'm getting more nervous a little bit selfishly because I wanted to win. I wanted to win most badly because I knew that when this loss came in the playoffs, it would be the end of our season. And when our season ended, my coaching career was going to end because I have two little boys at home one of whom is now old enough to verbalize things like, Daddy, we miss you when you're at practice, which means football's over for Daddy. And so I knew that when this season was over, football was over until the boys were old enough to play. And so I didn't want it to end because I love it and it's, it's a fun and all of those kinds of things. And so I wanted to win, but I knew it was going to be a tall task. And so that night, as, as I watched the Paintsville warm up, and, uh, and as we're going through, and, and I'm going through all these things, I'm thinking to myself, this really is David versus Goliath. This really is a tall task. I don't, I don't know if this can happen. And we go back into the locker room, as, as, as teams do right before the kickoff, and I'm getting more and more nervous, and I start thinking through the story of David and Goliath, and and I'm thinking about that moment when the Israelites, and we talked about this last week. If you, if you weren't here last week, make sure you check out the video because this, this story of David and Goliath is, is so good. But for 40 days, the Israelites sat in their camp and were taunted by Goliath. And for 40 days, they would sit and they would hear Goliath say, none of you will fight me, none of you. And as we sat in that locker room, just minutes before kickoff, I started to feel like we were the Israelites. And we were about to go and do battle with, with an enemy that I think everyone maybe thought, it's over. And so I walked out into the parking lot and I found five little rocks. And I found five because the offensive line, there's always five of them. There's a left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, and right tackle. And I found five because David found five in the story. And as the, as the team was walking out to go to the field, I opened the hand of each one of my five starting linemen and I put, the hand, put a rock in their hand and I said, David beats Goliath. And then when we got to the sideline, I opened their hand back up to make sure that the rock didn't make it on the field because that would have probably ended poorly for us. And I'd love to tell you that this story ends with us beating Paintsville and going on to bigger and better things, but sometimes Goliath beats you. Sometimes Goliath beats you 42 to nothing, and it's real bad. But I'll go to my dying day knowing that we didn't lose because of a lack of inspiration by the offensive line. And um, that's all I have to say about that. 
But I knew in, in my head, I knew that what we had to do was, was change strategy. I knew that doing things the way we had been doing them wasn't going to work. Because the kids, they're smart enough kids. They, they read what they read online. They saw what they saw in film. They knew that, that they were the underdog here. And reminding them that, that they, and trying to humble a kid who already were humbled wasn't going to work. That it was going to be a matter of, of trying to get them to believe in who they were. For some of them, it was a matter of trying to convince them that it was time for them to decide to step up and fight. For kids who had been beaten down, for kids who had been a part of, of a program that had lost so many games in their past, for some of them, it was just a matter of convincing them to make the decision to fight. If you were here last week or you weren't here last week, we, we opened up talking about David and Goliath by talking about how maybe the most important thing that David does is make the decision to fight. Because for 40 days, the Israelites sit in their camp, and the Philistine tribe sits across the way from them, and Goliath comes out and challenges them over and over and over again. And the Israelites just sit back and say, I'm not doing it. And we said, maybe the most important thing that David does is decide to be the one who says, I will fight this giant. And so maybe last week you made the decision that you're going to fight the giant of working on your marriage. You're going you're gonna to fight the giant of the debt that you have in your family. You're going to fight the giant of your health that's been looming over you for far too long. You're going to fight the giant of the job that you hate or the unemployment. You're going to fight the giant of your addiction. You're going to fight the giant of whatever it is that you have. But here's the thing that you need to know is that you made that decision to fight. But I wonder if for you it's not time to change strategy. I wonder if for you, you've been doing the same thing and you've been fighting this giant the same way for so long that it's become this wall, this impenetrable force that you'll never be able to beat. And now you've gotten to the point where you say, eh, I can't fight him anymore. Because you know that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same results, Right? Because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, right? I try that joke all the time, and it's never funny, and it proves that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, right? Y'all get it later. But you see, here, here's the thing. Is Goliath is a 9-foot, 10-inch tall giant that thousands of Israelite soldiers see and hear the, hear the battle cry and hear him say, fight me one-on-one, -on -one. who will take me? And every Israelite says, <laughs> not me, not a chance. But David's the one who sees another way. David's the one who sees a different kind of opportunity. And David's the one who goes from, from man to man in the camp and says, why is no one fighting him? And this is what we talked about last week with the voice of the critics and the doubters who will say, everyone doesn't stand a chance. No one can do it. Right? And it's the same thing with your giant. And they'll say, everybody has debt. It's okay. Everybody's a little bit overweight. Everybody's a little bit unhealthy. Nobody's happy in their job. And that's what happens is that you have this giant that looms in your life and other people convince you that it's normal. But David's not okay with normal because normal has for 40 days led, the giant, led, led Goliath to loom large over Israel. 
And David won't give up to the point where he's now in the middle of the Israelite camp talking to the king of Israel, a guy named Saul. And he's talking to King Saul and he says, Saul, listen, I am going to fight Goliath. And he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He has been a warrior from his youth. And David says, no, you don't understand. He says, I've been a shepherd for a long time. And I've protected my, my sheep from bears and lions. He says, I, I, can, I can fire a slingshot from 100 yards away. He says, I, I can fight him with my bare hands. He says, I'm tough. I'm ready to go. He says, I'm not afraid. And Saul tries to give him the no one, everyone kind of talk. He tries to tell him, like, hey, listen, this isn't how this works. But David won't have it. And so Saul says, all right. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And then David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around him because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. And so he took them off. And so David begins to go out for this battle with no armor. And it's such a crazy thing that I think we miss when, when we look at the story of David and Goliath. That when David goes out to fight, Saul says, you need to know this before anything else. He says, you need to wear the armor that everyone else wore. And David says, I'm not going to wear the armor everyone else wore because Goliath is undefeated. He said, so the armor that everyone else wore is the armor that everyone else wore lost in. This is the armor that everyone else wore is the, ar- the, don't, the armor that everyone else wore is the armor that everybody else loses the fight in. So I'm going to fight a different way. I'm going to change strategy. And this is for us, when we're fighting our giant, it's an important thing for us to understand is that we don't fight the way everyone else has fought. And this is what David's doing. He's saying, listen, I don't care that everyone else goes out there with armor and swords and tries to fight the guy. He says, I'm not going to win that way. He says, I'm going to change strategy and fight differently. People give us a hard time because we are, are such big Financial Peace University fans at this church. And we, we at least once a year host the class and we, and we push it and we talk about Dave Ramsey all the time. We're, we're huge fans of Dave Ramsey. Um, but I, I don't apologize because, because I think that his method works because it's a biblical approach to managing money. And my favorite thing that Dave Ramsey says is he says, normal is broke. He says, normal is the 74% of Americans who live paycheck to paycheck who can't handle financial emergencies when they come their way and get desperate and do dumb things. He says, normal is broke. Everyone else fights broke, and he says, be weird. Be weird. Be weird enough to change your strategy to fight like no one else fights. Be weird enough to fight like David Boys. David Boys might not be a name that you recognize, but if I told you what he did, you would know who he is. He's most famous for having taken on Microsoft in the mid-90s in the antitrust litigation But David Boyce is a feared trial lawyer. He's one of the best litigators in the entire nation. David Lloyd graduated near the top of his class at Yale University Law School. David Boyce is sought after across the country when it comes to trying cases. David Boyce is a top attorney. But here's what's crucial about David Boyce. David Boyce is dyslexic. 
David Boys is dyslexic like the traditional meaning of dyslexic. When he reads words, they get jumbled up in his head, and it takes him a long time to comprehend words that a normal reader can read at a normal rate. And so when Boyce graduated high school, after a struggle to graduate high school, he had no intention on going to college and just kind of worked menial job after menial job. He met a girl and fell in love, and she said, you're too smart to just be drifting from job to job. And they found a way to get him into a small college where he found a way to then get accepted into law school by not doing what normal people did in college and by not doing what normal people did in law school. You see, he realized that most of his classmates half paid attention in class, and most of his classmates would half do the reading. But instead, boys boys found ways to pay better attention in class, and because he had always had such a hard time listening, had become an hard time reading, became an excellent listener. And so while everyone else was zoning out and doodling, boys was taking impeccable notes and hearing every nuance of every word and phrase. And so he was the top of the class in college and the top of the class eventually at Yale Law School, not because he read better than everyone else, he did not, but because he didn't miss a beat or a word of what his professors were saying. While everyone else was busy burying themselves in law books, he was busy listening over and over again to what his professors said. All he did was change his strategy. He didn't become a corporate lawyer where he'd be buried in paperwork over and over again. He became a trial lawyer, where as a trial lawyer, what mattered most was hearing what the people he was questioning said and then hammering them over little nuances and phrases that people would have missed if they hadn't honed their ears like boys had honed his ears. Because he knew normal people read, normal people only half paid attention in class, normal people did it this way, but normal wasn't going to work. Boys had to change his strategy. One of the giants in my life, my entire life, has been my health. And it's one that I have fought over and over again. If you've been around here very long, you've noticed that fight. And uh, one of the ways that I've changed strategy recently is that I've begun meeting with our friend Casey Massey, um, who goes here, and she is a registered dietitian. And one of the reasons that I love meeting with Casey as my dietitian is that she prescribes daily chocolate as part of her diet. I don't know why the entire world does not have Casey as their dietitian, but Casey and Stacy, the, the sisters who we, we, we saw in their video last week, have a, have a, a, a great story of defeating a giant. If you weren't here last week, Casey and Stacy are, are twin sisters who, who as, as teenagers, developed a, a giant of anorexia. And they defeated that giant, and today they're both dietitians trying to teach the rest of the world to fight giants of health and, and eating and those kinds of battles. And, and each week we, we've got a clip from them kind of sharing a little bit of their story. And this week we talked a little bit about changing strategy, and, and I want you to watch this with them and kind of hear what Casey and Stacy have to say about changing your strategies in fighting your giants. So, like, the giant of our eating disorder, I don't think necessarily looms in our life today because we found that we have a really healthy relationship with food. So, we eat when we're hungry, we, we stop when we're full most of the time, like any, you know, normal person can do, and, um, you know, we try not to eat for emotional reasons, and the, 
you know, we have chocolate every day um, because we don't want to deprive ourselves because we did for years. Um, so, so not necessarily the eating disorder doesn't creep back, but those, those feelings of not being good enough creep back. So not being a good enough mom, a sister, a wife, a daughter, a friend. So those feelings come back and, um, we just kind of learned to deal with it a little bit better, I think, um, and not turn to food or trying to manipulate food or our weight. So right. definitely just our coping mechanisms changed. I think that we have definitely learned to cope better because we just don't let things snowball as much. So for example, you know, before we restricted our eating anorexia, that's how we dealt with everything. We had gotten better. We had learned to eat more regularly, those types of things. And when we got to college, you've got all these different stressors. So then we actually went the, the opposite way and we went to more of like a binge eating disorder undiagnosed but it was definitely we still didn't know how to cope with those so i think because we've been on both sides we finally got a happy balance between the two and we know that we can't get so stressed or so um tired that we're gonna go to to an extreme we have to balance our eating and honestly, that's our coping, coping mechanism is that we eat in a, in a structured way every single day, including those foods that we like, because we know that to have a healthy brain, you've got, you've got to fuel it. Yeah. And I think regular exercise really helps. We've had like an on again, off again relationship with exercise. And um, I think before we always kind of saw it as a chore or kind right. of like a punishment. Like you have to do that to, to stay healthy or to be a certain weight. And now we view it as, gosh, it, inc it improves our mood and we are more productive when we exercise. Our energy, our energy our levels mood. improve, we sleep better. Um, so we look at it for the positives and um, we're not always great at looking at the positive by any means, um, but that's what we try to do for, for those coping mechanisms. And um, we know that when we exercise, we do feel better as a whole person. I think the best thing when creating any kind of plan is to make small, manageable, realistic goals because get, something like getting healthy can be very overwhelming if you're wanting to tackle too many things at one time. So definitely a small, manageable goal one at a time and just working up to whatever your ideal of health is. I definitely think in our society, health is definitely centered around weight. And as professionals now in the nutrition profession, it's very hard um, because we do have a non-diet approach to, to health. And so um, that's what we work on with most of our patients is setting those small manageable goals, lifestyle changes that are going to be successful. And realistic, term. realistic for their lifestyle. And I think um, an important thing is to evaluate those goals and those steps that you've planned and say what's working, what's not working, and change them. Like, if there's nothing set in stone that you have to do it this way. Um, you know, we found that we want to be more physically active. So we eat lunch in about 15 minutes, um, which is plenty of time for us. And then we try to do about 15 minutes of exercise, maybe two or three times a week. Um, nothing difficult, but we've worked it in. We've made that a priority, and it works for us. 
it might not work for everybody. So just trying to find something that works for you and that is realistic. So that's one of the big things about having a problem is finding people that will jump right in and, and be with you in the, in the waves really of what's going on and, and help you and support you through it. When you talk about fighting giants and when you talk about, about setting goals and, and changing strategy, maybe for you, one of the most important things you can do is, is find people who will be with you in the waves. And, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to turn this into a commercial, but, uh, uh, but we live this here. And when we live this out because we believe that you can't do this alone and we believe that there are people who can help you. And that's why we offer Financial Peace University. We, we don't offer it for you to sit in your home and, and go through the class. We offer it for you to, to sit with a group of people and, and go through the class and say together, like, hey, we, we want to do this together better. That's why um, in, in the course of this year, we're going to be offering Celebrate Recovery, which is about recovering from addiction or grief or what, 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 what you need to recover from. And it's about a, a group gathering together and, and recovering. It's why we offer community groups of, of people who get together and say, hey, uh, this, needs, this needs help in our life, and, and we need to ride these waves together. And so that's why I put that last clip from, from Casey in there again, because it's so important and such an important part of of, of fighting these battles is realizing that it seems like it's you and your giant one-on-one, -on -one, but, but you need to know that there, there's a group of people who want to fight this battle with you. And it's time for you to make the decision to fight this battle, and it's time for you to find the strategy that will win you this battle. And David knows the strategy that's going to win in this battle, and he sheds Saul's armor, and he walks out, of, walks out of Saul's tent, and he goes down to the stream, and it's there at the stream that he takes his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream. He puts them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, approaches the Philistine. Now, over the course of the weeks and months and years that he'd been a shepherd, he had some free time. And he had free time to, to line some things up on, 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 the, on the wall, and he'd, he'd knock them down with a sling. And he had some time to, to, to hit the bears and to scare off the lions and whatever it took to, to be perfect with the shot. And so he knew that he was good with his slingshot. And I, and I think that what happens is when we talk about slingshot, we think Dennis the Menace and a marble, but slingshot for David, slingshot in, in this day and age that we're talking about for this story, isn't Dennis the Menace shooting a marble to be annoying. Slingshot is a weapon that could be a deadly weapon when used correctly. But no one had ever come at Goliath with a slingshot. You see, Goliath came out with a, 15, with a spear that had a 15-pound tip on it and a sword. And Goliath came out wanting to fight you hand-to-hand, one-on-one. And everyone thought, in order to prove how manly I am, and in order to prove how tough I am, I have to fight him how he wants to fight me. But David said, I'm not trying to prove how manly I am. I'm trying to defeat the giant. And so David, David showed us that to be, we have to be willing to try what no one else has done. We have to be willing to go outside what is normal. And this is what changing strategy was all about was to be willing to do something that no one else had done in the battle for this giant. And so he walks out to defeat 
Goliath. And it says this, it says, Meanwhile, the Philistine, with a shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that there was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, which sounds like someone else you know. And he despised him. I'm not sure why you laughed. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And he said, Come here, and I'll give your flesh and bird to the wild animals. And this line is so important when Goliath says, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Because what he's saying to David is, is he's saying, Look, I have, I have a spear, I have a shield, I have a sword, I have armor. And he says, it looks like you picked those things up over there. So you've got a, a staff and a sling. Like, what? Did those fall out of the tree? What, what are you bringing to this fight? And this is the, this is the method that Goliath is, is starting to see David use. He's saying everyone else brings their best armor, their best sword, their best spear. And he's saying, and all you're bringing is Sticks? And it wasn't that he missed what David had. It was that he thought what David had wasn't good enough. But what David had was different than what everyone else had. Everyone else came to fight Goliath's way. But David came for a different strategy. And so maybe it's time for you to come for the different strategy. Maybe for you, your giant isn't ready for the different strategy. Last week, we had everybody come up and write on, on the wall what, what their giant is. And, and, and I, I, I went through this week, and I, and I read some of your giants, and you didn't write your name, so I don't know whose was who, and I, I don't want you to think that I was trying to figure that out. I just, I know that, that you wrote, and, I, and we prayed for you and your giants. But as I was reading through them, I was starting to think in my head about what kind of strategies could we employ that would be different. And I started to see the addictions that were up there, and I thought, I wonder how many times they've tried to quit cold turkey, but I wonder if they've ever maybe thought about, about a cessation program. I wonder, you know, how many times they've thrown that pack of cigarettes out the window, but have they ever tried the patch or the gum? I wonder if they've ever tried, you know, they've, they've walked away from the drink, but have they ever tried to, to, go, to, to go to someplace like Celebrate Recovery? And I, and I saw people who wrote about their marriage, and I thought, I wonder how many times they and their spouse have sat across from each other and said, I promise this time we'll do better, but I wonder if they've ever seen a marriage counselor. And I wonder if they've ever taken concrete steps to actually improve their marriage or if they've just said, eh, we'll do better next time. And I saw all the people who wanted to get out of debt and I thought, I, I pray that they can get out of debt, but I wonder if they've ever actually come up with a plan to get out of debt or if they just hope that they win the lottery. I wonder if they've ever signed up for a class like Financial Peace University. I wonder if they've ever read a book like The Total Money Makeover or, or if they've ever read, uh, if they've ever read a, a, a blog or, or gone somewhere where they, they could do something to figure out a way to get out of debt. I wonder if the people who wrote about their health, I wonder if they've sought a second opinion or if the one doctor is the only doctor they've listened to. I wonder if they found a way to get treatment when everyone else told them it was over. I wonder if the person who wrote about their job has only ever looked at monster.com or if they've ever listened to that voice that says, you could do this on your own. You need to go into business for yourself. And I started to think about how all of us could change strategy. 
And so here in just a few minutes, what we're going to do is we're going to encourage you to come back up. And I really want to challenge you because I know that for some of you, this is not in your comfort zone. But I want you to come back up because we asked you to remember where you wrote your giant. And over top of your giant, I want you to write in one or two words what your strategy will be. How things are going to be different this time. Maybe if you weren't here last week or you weren't ready to write your giant, maybe this week you come up and you write your giant and then over top of it you write your strategy. You can draw a picture, you can scribble it so no one else knows, you can write it backwards, write it in Spanish, write it in another language, just draw a swirl but you know what it means. But I want you to do this because I want you to know that today you need to make the decision to fight. That you need to make the decision to fight. But here's the last thing I need you to know. As you leave, I, I, I want to encourage you that there's a bucket over here of stones. And I want to encourage you to pick up one of those stones. Because as you pick up those stones, I, I want you to remember that you're not fighting this alone. You see, I, I fully believe that David knew he wasn't going to beat Goliath. David knew that David, as accurate of a slingshot as he was, as, as brave as he was, David did not think David was going to beat Goliath. And here's why. David says to the Philistine, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All those who gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord and he will give all of you into our hands. And maybe for some of you, as you take that, that, that stone back to your seat, maybe this is the first time that you realize you are not fighting this battle by yourself. You aren't fighting this battle alone. You see, there is a God, the God who spoke the universe into existence, the God who created all of this, who wants to fight this battle with you who wants to fight this battle for you. And he's watched you fight it alone for days, for weeks, for decades, and he's standing on the sidelines waiting for you to say, I need you to fight this with me. I need you to come by my side and fight this battle with me. Because that God, the God who created the universe, has already fought your biggest battle, has already won your biggest war, and you don't even know it. That's the God who sent his son, Jesus, to the earth in order to die so that he could defeat death once and for all. Because you'll notice nobody over there wrote death on the wall. Because we know that death is not a giant we have to face. 
You see, death is a giant that was defeated when the Son of God, Jesus, came to earth and was put on a cross and died on the cross and then rose from the grave. And so the giants that we have pale in comparison. They loom large in our lives. They destroy our psyche. They they defeat our souls at times, but they pale in comparison to the giant of death that our God, our creator has defeated. And he's watching on high and he's saying to us, I want to fight this battle with you. Let me fight this battle for you. And so for some of you today, You're going to walk up here and you're going to write on this wall. And the thing you're going to write is, for the first time in my life, I want God to fight this battle for me. And after the service, I'm going to be in the lobby and you might need to come and talk to me about what it means to really follow Jesus for the very first time. And I'm ready to have that conversation with you about what it means to really know that the battle over death has been fought for you. And for some of you, you you know this already, and I want to encourage you, as you write and as you take your stone, I want to encourage you that there's bread and there's a cup in the front and in the back, and take a piece of the bread and take the cup and go back to your seat and remember. Remember that that battle was fought for you. But here's the last thing I want you to do. I want you to take that stone, and I want you to take that stone home with you and put it on your dresser, put it on your, put it on your mantle, take it to work with you and put it on your desk. Take that stone somewhere where all week you see that stone and you remember that this is a battle you are not fighting alone. This is a battle that God is fighting for you.